0: Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, friends, you ready to go? Yeah? You should have got fired up with that worship. It was amazing today. Uh, so we are, con- we are continuing in our series about Jesus. Uh, we believe that as we look at the stories of Jesus, as we talk about the teachings of Jesus, as we experience even the encounters of Jesus, that, that he um, will actually transform us. We actually believe that. And we believe that Jesus really did come and he changed everything about everything. Not just then, but he's still changing everything right now. And he's changing people's lives. And we see that over and over again. And, and so we, that's why we're reading the Bible together, by the way. Um, we want this final stretch of this series we're doing about Jesus to be saturated with the stories in the Word of God, the stories of Jesus. And we just believe that that as our church does this together, as we unify, meaning everybody in our church, hopefully everybody, meaning you and you and you and people next to you, like we're all reading the Bible together and and trying this thing that we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we just believe something's going to happen in that, and God's going to use that to do some work in your life. And so if you've not done it yet, if you are a little behind or maybe you've missed it, just jump in, just keep, don't worry about it. It's not, we're not, this isn't like a rules thing to see who can get done on, on time. It's saying, let's just, let's just read the word together. We believe it's powerful. So we are in week 37 of this series. If you can believe it or not, that means we sta- started way back in May of 2018. When we started this series, Carmelo Anthony still played for the Thunder. That's how long this has been going on. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, so today I want to talk about Jesus and the Spirit. And which in some ways, when you say that, it's sort of like it's kind of one and the same, right? Jesus, of course, is unique from the Spirit, but he's also one with the Spirit. And but I think in the Bible what we'll find is there's some interesting things to notice between this interaction between Jesus and the Spirit. And just like we will read in the scriptures sometime that Jesus is going to the Father and he's praying there's this relationship between Jesus and the Father. There's also this relationship and this experience between Jesus and the Spirit. And as most of us know, if we have a kind of a Christian understanding of God, it is we see God as three in one, that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Um, However, in that, although there is a oneness, there is a uniqueness in each of them. And so I want to take us to one of the first interactions between Jesus and in the Spirit in the New Testament. It's in Matthew chapter 3. We'll be jumping in there. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And it says this. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I I love, and I am well pleased so by the way in this passage really cool thing the whole trinity gang is there you know what i'm saying like jesus is there getting baptized the spirit's descending and the father's like booming out like all my son you know what i mean like this they're all there they're all hanging out but i want us to notice something important that happens in this moment this is of course the baptism of jesus john the baptist baptizes him and the spirit comes down and it alights on jesus which first question is what does that mean what does a light mean is he like glowing now like a light bulb is he I would like to think, yes, he probably was, but that's just because I think that would look cool. But that is not what means, a light means. A light actually means to descend from above, and it comes and rests upon him. And so the Spirit comes down, and it rests upon Jesus. The Spirit comes upon Jesus in this moment. So let's go to the very next verse. So if you're in your Bible, that's, those two verses I just read are the last two verses of chapter 3. The first verse of chapter one or chapter 4 is this. So verse number 1, chapter 4, Right after, right after he was baptized, then Jesus was led. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So this is a pretty, really kind of, in some ways you can look at it. This is kind of a cool moment. Jesus comes. I mean, excuse me. The Spirit comes upon Jesus and G- and he's like, "Hey, let's go mess with Lucifer. This is going to be awesome. Let's go into the wilderness and let's just see what happens because I think we got him." You know what I mean? So that's what's going on here, but. This is the first instance where we read Jesus is now led by the Spirit, which is very interesting, that you're always thinking, well, oh, there's a moment here that's significant to notice. And now, now there's things about Jesus, by the way, that we do not understand, right? There's things that we don't know. But apparently, this is significant that the Spirit comes and alights on him, right? And is now leading him. After this moment, Jesus wasn't able to do things that he was not doing before this moment. You understand things change even in Jesus's life in this moment. Before Jesus was baptized, before the spirit comes upon him, we do not have stories of Jesus doing miraculous things. And that's kind of blows our mind because We're like, oh, no, he's the son of God. He can probably do whatever he wanted. For some reason, this is what we don't understand. We don't understand God's timing, God's reasoning, God's but we can probably pinpoint this, that God wanted in order for us to understand where power comes from, he puts the power the power of the Spirit upon Jesus and things start happening. And if you're like, well, how do we know Jesus? Maybe it's just not in the Bible. I kind of think that if Jesus, when he was a kid, like fed 5,000 people at Nazareth Junior High School when he was 12 years old <laughs> with some holy mackerel out of the Sea of Galilee or something, like if he did that, we would know about it. You know what I mean? It would have been recorded. Oh, when Jesus was 12, he did this. But we didn't hear about it. And so since there's no stories about it, in fact, later, do you remember when he's in his hometown and he's doing all these miraculous things? What does the hometown say? Who is this guy? Where does he get these miraculous powers? Isn't he the carpenter's son? They must have been like blown away. This is not the same kid that we've seen before, but all of a sudden now he's able to do things he wasn't able to do before. Jesus is now different. Something happens when the Spirit comes and alights on Jesus. When it comes upon him, something changes in the atmosphere. Something changes even in Jesus. So God's timing and what he does with Jesus here, and it, enables, it enables Jesus to do something he couldn't do prior to this moment. I don't understand all that, but I think I can pull that together at least. I want to take you to a different moment turn over to acts chapter 2 this is a popular chapter to read when we're talking about the holy spirit usually in a church setting you get like a hearty mm -hmm, head nod when you're talking about the holy spirit in acts 2 it's like oh yeah of course we're going to acts 2 yep yeah we are acts 2 verse 1 when the day of pentecost came which pentecost most of you know is a jewish festival it's a big deal. Everybody comes to Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who's all? It's the disciples. Why are they together in one place? Because Jesus, the last thing he said to them was to be waiting on the gift that God was gonna send, which by the way, was the advocate, was the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting in one place like, oh God, please, and they're praying. And suddenly a sound like a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let's, there's a lot to talk about here, but let's talk about that last line, as the Spirit enabled them. Enabled them to do what? What What did he enable them to do? Well, I would say, He enabled them to do the work that God wanted done, right? So what did God want done? Well, in this particular story, a lot of you know it, but this is the festival, if you will, of Pentecost, which means people from all over are in Jerusalem. Not just Jewish people, but all sorts of people pilgrimage into Jerusalem during Pentecost because it's a big deal. People of other nationalities and other religions because they're doing merchants, they're merchants, they're doing business, they're selling, they're buying, all this kind of stuff. It's a big deal. It's an international event, if you will, happening in Jerusalem. And God wants something done at this international event. And so he actually enables the disciples, and this is what he wants done, to preach the good news of Jesus when all the world is gathered in Jerusalem. And so he gives them the ability. I'm not going to read this. A lot of you know the story. He gives them the ability, the disciples, to speak in different languages, which is weird, but he does it. And so all these people are going, how am I hearing this news about Jesus in my own language? These guys, they, they don't know how to speak my language. How are they doing it? The Spirit enables them, right, to do something they weren't able to do prior to this moment. And so now they're doing this thing where they're speaking in another language and they're hearing the Word of God and are hearing. And guess what? All these people from different places They go home, and they now have the story of God and the story of Jesus, and they begin telling the story of Jesus, and the gospel begins to spread throughout the world. You think God had a good strategy. Hey, let's get everybody together at Pentecost, tell them about Jesus, and then they'll go spread the good news. So this is what he does, and this one day, right, this is the day that 3,000 people came to know Jesus. 3,000 people come to know Jesus after Peter, really all of them are speaking these different languages, Peter gives this message God enables them to preach the gospel, if you will, and enables them to do a work that they were not able to do prior to this moment. This sounds very much, let's think about this moment, the tongues of fire come upon them. It sounds like very similar to what we see in Jesus, where the Spirit of God alights, descends on Jesus, comes upon him, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God starts blowing in, and these tongues of fire descend, alight on these people, and now they're able to do something they weren't able to do prior to this moment. Are, are you with me? Okay. Peter and John. So, so after this moment, the, the disciples start doing all sorts of things they couldn't do before. 3,000 people come to know Jesus. They couldn't do that before. Then even in the very next chapter, chapter 3, it starts out with the story of Peter and John going. They see a disabled man. They say, in the power and the authority in the name of Jesus, be healed. Boom, he's healed And story after story like that begins to happen in Acts. These things did not happen before them. The only time they happened is when Jesus was with them. Jesus is now gone, and the Spirit has now come upon them, and new things are happening, right? Okay. So if you will, I want you to go with me on a little bit of a journey through time today because I think this is really, really helpful. So this has been happening through the book of Acts. Now they're doing all sorts of things they couldn't before. They've been enabled by the Spirit to do some things. And what you see happening in the first 300 years of Christianity is the gospel spreads like wildfire. It's going everywhere, all over the world, all over the Roman Empire. In the face of persecution, they're like, they kick Roman Empire and Greek philosophy in the face and say, watch Jesus work. That's what happens in this moment, right? I want to take you kind of through a timeline. By the year 300... By the year 300, the church and the written gospels of, the, of, of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all the apostles' letters are being spread throughout the world. People are reading this New Testament, right? This new testimony of Jesus. They're reading it. They're hearing about it in spoken and written word and the, and the gospel is spreading like wildfire, like I said, against even this persecution. It makes The persecution makes the church stronger. By the year 300, over 20 million followers of Jesus exist in the Roman Empire, which, by the way, is most everybody. That's, that's the population of the world, by You know, This is a big chunk of people. So we get to the year 312. There's a Roman em- emperor, emperor called Constantine. He's looking around and going, everybody's a Christian. Why are we still crucifying them? Why are we still killing them? And he actually apparently has his own... Uh, Religious experience is kind of debatable if he did or not or if he just succumbed to culture, and he makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, this is a significant moment in history because in this moment, what begins to happen is the beginning movement of the Roman Catholic Church is born. Persecution stops, desperation of followers of Jesus fade, and religious leaders are brought into power, into political power. By the year 500, the years 500 to 1500, what you see is Christianity, Christianity undergoes a religious and institutional evolution. The leadership removes, get this, the leadership of the church removes and forbids people to actually read the Bible. And they say the only time you can read the Bible is actually when you go to church and you'll hear it read to you. But it's going to be read in its, they called it its official or its original language, which they read in Christian, if you will, Catholic mass in Latin which by the way was not the original language. They got that one wrong. But they would read in a language that nobody understood. So you'd go to church, some dude would be reading in Latin and nobody understood what you was saying. Nobody was reading the Bible, nobody was hearing the Bible anymore. And so what happens in the years 500 to 1500 is a whole bunch of bad things. Perhaps this is why this time is called the Dark Ages. Perhaps this is why the church historically goes off the rails during this time. And you see things like the Crusades and slavery and imperialism and all these things that get credited to the church that Jesus had nothing to do with. The people in the church become disabled, if you will, to do the work that they were able to do at one time. 1500s comes along. Some monks are bored and they're sitting around. (laughs) And they begin to secretly translate the Bible from Latin into their own languages. And then they had a thought. Maybe people should read this. Maybe they should actually know what this says. And so these guys, most notably a guy named Martin Luther, translates the Bible from Latin and Hebrew and the original languages of Greek into German. And then a guy named William Tyndale translated, translates it into English. And Luther then, of course, initiates a movement when he nails the 95 theses to, um, to, the, to, the, to a door of a Catholic church in his town. And he believes that people should be able to not only read the Bible on their own, but that the Bible should be in their own language. And so something happens during the 1500s that we've all heard. It's called the Protestant Reformation, a Reformation is born. People begin to hear the good news of Jesus once again, and it changes everything. A faith and understanding of God, it it begins to rebuild and reestablish roots, and the roots of Christianity are reclaimed, by these people in this time. And it takes some time. So you get into the 1600s and the Protestant Reformation begins to take off. New churches are established. People begin reading the word of God and all sorts of discovery happen. Can you imagine if you've never heard the word of God, but you have only seen it displayed in a Christian mass or excuse me, a Catholic mass. And then so you start reading the Bible and you go, whoa, 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 oh, I want this. I had no idea that this is what it was really about. And so people start to really chase after God. And in the 1700s, you see some of the first what you would call modern-day revivals start. The Methodist revival happens with John and Charles Wesley. Um, George Whitfield begins to uh, make his moves through uh, Europe. The first great awakening in America happens. Jonathan Edwards, thousands are saved in the 1800s, you see more revivals are happening all over the Western world. They're popping up. Australia, pretty much every Western cultured country has a revival of some sort. Um, the Second Great Awakening happens in the early 1800s with people like Charles Finney. The Third Great Awakening happens in America uh, with people like D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon that some of you guys have heard of. And then in the 1900s, you get to the 20th century and... You see even bigger revivals. You see the Welsh Revival, which I've referenced a number of times, Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, Toronto, Happened in the 90s, you see Pentecostal revivals, the Hebrides revivals, which happens in the outskirts of Scotland, and these revivals not just break out in the Western cultures, but they finally break through in the Eastern cultures and the Southern cultures, and you see South America explode in Christianity. You see China, right, and the the underground movement in China, the house church movement, what's called, it's really a revival where millions of people come to know Jesus in China, a communist nation that is persecuting and law, the law forbids people to be Christians, right, and you see millions come to know Jesus in the 1900s. See, the revival of the church that started in the 1500s, it began with what? Reopening God's word. It began with reopening God's word and the stories of Jesus and the stories of what he taught us and how he showed us how to live and what he said to us, it began to change everything once again. And in this redemptive work, it was not just for the purposes of people reading the Bible and going, oh, Jesus forgives me of my sin. I can go to heaven because of Jesus. That it became bigger than that. It wasn't just a story of the redemptive work of Jesus, but they started to understand when they started to read God's word that it was actually a story about a God who doesn't only want to redeem us, but he wants to empower us and enable us to do a work that we couldn't do before. And that when people started understanding that we have been enabled by the Spirit of God, that we can be enabled by the Spirit of God to do things for his purposes. And what's the work that God wants done? He wants people to hear the story of Jesus. He wants people to come in to his family. And so people begin to really get it. They begin to read God's word and they start to see as they read that story again, that not only is this a good story for them, but it's a good story for the world. And so they started telling it, and things started changing. And, and people started to understand that the Holy Spirit, and people still struggle with this today, that the Holy Spirit isn't some etherical guiding force out there that sometimes gives us chill bumps. <laughs> that the Holy Spirit is actually the same Spirit of God that descended upon Jesus and empowered him and enabled him to do a work that he, could no longer, that he could have never done before. And it's also the same power that he that he descended upon the, the disciples and, and the others in the, in the upper room and then they were enabled to do a work they couldn't do before, that that same spirit is the same spirit that a lot of us are starting to discover or maybe we've already discovered. It's the, it's the ones that Martin Luther and the Charles Finneys and the, and the Jonathan Edwards and these that m- led these huge revivals and all the people that were with them started to understand that it's not by our work that the, any of this can be done, but it's only by the work of the Spirit. And here's what's really, really interesting about this whole thing is that when you think about Acts 2 and the fact that when, it was, when the word of God was spoken in their own language and he gave them the ability to do that, that the spirit of God broke through and a movement of God happened, that when you fast forward into the 1500s and the word of God had been locked up and had been hidden behind doors, But when it was finally translated into their own language, the spirit and the wind of revival started to blow again. I love it. It's powerful. It's something that only the spirit of God can do. And so here's the thing. I don't want just the spirit in me and with me that a lot of times we say that language. But maybe for a lot of us, we need to be asking for the spirit to come upon us as he came upon Jesus and the disciples. That we can be enabled to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. Some of us... I think, would say, I want that. I want to experience that. I want to read the Bible and actually know that that can be the kind of life I live, that it isn't something that happened, but it's something that happens. Last week, I, I said, I believe God is calling us to dig deeper into a few things, and I would love to quiz you, but I won't. Um, I said, we're going to talk about digging deeper than we ever have into the work of prayer, uh, the work of the, which we talked about last week, the work of the Spirit, which I'm talking about right now, uh, the work uh, of joy, or excuse me, the work of the church, the work of joy, and then we ended with the work of prayer because everything begins and ends with prayer, right? And so we talked about those things, and, and today, if we're going to talk about the work of the Spirit, uh, let me just ask you, I mean, what if, what if we really did that? What if we really said, Lord, we need more of your Spirit? What would that look like? What would happen? What happens when we ask for more of His Spirit? I believe it means God will do a couple things um, at minimum. I believe we will see more fruit of the Spirit, because if we're asking for more of the Spirit, then we're certainly going to get more fruit of the Spirit. And we're also going to get more gifts of the Spirit, because if we ask for more of the Spirit, well, guess what He's going to do? He's going to give us gifts, (laughs) because that's what You do when someone says it's gonna have more. When my kid asks me for more, I'm usually gonna say no. (laughs) But every once in a while I'm gonna say yes. And it's gonna be in the form of a gift. Good thing God is more generous than me, right? (laughs) So if we were gonna ask for those things, I think we need to do more than ask. I think we should expect. And the reason I say that is because these are already truths given in the Word, that the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are realities. They are not something that we hopefully get. It's something that is given to those who want it. So we expect, we ask and expect God to give us these things. I want to read about the fruit of the Spirit for just a second. Galatians 5, through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law, which I love that. There are no limitations to, these, to, these, to this fruit. There are nothing that's getting in the way of it. There are no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, say it with me, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When Paul writes this, it's almost like this foregone conclusion. You understand that? He's like, since we live by the spirit, well, let's just keep in step with the spirit. This is is obvious to him, meaning we don't put on the old self. It's actually been crucified with Christ. The old self of pride and selfishness and greed is dead and needs to stay dead. And we need to instead walk in step with the spirit. And when we do that, all sorts of things that would be called fruit of the Spirit become the product of our life, which are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to keep in step with the Spirit. I want that to be my life. Anybody with me? Lord, I mean, we do ask for more of your, more fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I almost said that, Lord, we want to be more fruitful, but I I don't know if that's the right prayer, right? Make us fruitful and multiply. I want more of your spirit. What about the gifts of the spirit? We should expect the fruit of the spirit. We should expect the gifts of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.1, it says this. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I love that verse because in today's world, We are so uninformed about this. And Paul's like, let me just begin this conversation about the gifts of the Spirit. Don't be ignorant. Paul does not want us to be uninformed, and neither should we. So he goes on in verse four, and he starts talking about this. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. I think that's important to know, that it's the Spirit of God that's distributing all sorts of different things. There are different kinds, and he, he gives some examples of uh, you know, kind of comparisons. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now, to each one of each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Why does he do it? To puff people up? Does he give it to so some people are more special than others? Does he give it so some people seem to have all the things going for them? No, he does it for the common good. And so you can know, just so you know, people can abuse what God gives them. But then there are some people that can walk and step with the Spirit and they receive these gifts for the purpose of the common good. And what is the common good? Well, it is the work of God that he's trying to do. And it's the purposes of God. Verse number eight, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, meaning discerning between Spirits, to another speaking the different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So it's God, it's the Spirit deciding how he wants to distribute these gifts. Over in Romans, Paul writes a little bit more about gifts. I'll read this, Romans 12, 6-8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then you better go prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then you better go serve. If it's teaching, then get after teaching. If it's to encourage, then you better be the greatest encourager ever. If it's giving, then give generously, like a lot, a lot. (laughs) If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul would later write in chapter 14, so he, he goes on in 1 Corinthians from 12, 13, and 14. Just go read about it. It's a lot of good stuff. He, he does in chapter 13, this whole thing about love, that the greatest of all these things is love. And, and then he says this, follow in the way of love. This is verse, chapter 14, verse 20, follow in the way of love, which by the way, what was the very first fruit of the Spirit? Love. love. Follow in the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And then he adds in this little like tagline, especially prophecy, which is then gets everybody like going, oh, I'm confused now. So eagerly desire the gifts. Interesting. He just said that he determines who gets what. But I can desire something. I thought I was supposed to sit here and he was just going to like laser beam things into my life or something. No, no, no. We can eagerly desire. We can dream. We can imagine. We can ask. We can even expect God to give us things. He even says, especially prophecy. So Perhaps we can actually say, Lord, I do not have this gift, but I really need it. Not for me, but for your work to be done. Not for me, but so that you can enable me to do something I wasn't able to do before. If you would give me this ability, I will use it for your purposes and your glory, Lord. Would you give me gifts to actually go and do your work that I can't do without you? You see, he actually invites us into asking for these sorts of things. Eagerly desire, Side note. He goes especially prophecy. Side note. If that word is kind of new to you or weird to you, being a prophet does not mean that you're gonna be someone that can just sit around and predict the future. Some of this is about. I know some people who have God is gifted in prophecy, and the way they walk in that gift is by really being able to hear, if you will, and discern from the Lord different things. Maybe it's in the form of words or in the form of pictures or the form of other things, and, and they'll come up to people and say, Hey, I feel like the Lord wants, to tell, tell, wants me to tell you something. It's from the Lord. And sometimes it's like, oh, Okay, I mean, how do you hear from the Lord? And, and most prophets aren't quite sure on all these things, but they have a confidence that I, I, this is from the Lord. It's for his common good, it's for what he wants to do in your life. And usually they'll either tell you something that they feel like the Lord wants you to know, and it's always typically encouraging and edifying, lifts you up. Or they maybe give you a picture of something, and, and this is what I'm seeing for you. And they, These are normal people usually, and um, they've been given a gift to encourage, and that's what they do, and to speak about spiritual truths that you need to hear. And so it's no wonder to me that Paul would say, you should desire the gift of prophecy, because don't you want to hear from the Lord so you can encourage others? So, so, I, so now, in my life, I'm always saying, Lord, give me more prophecy. Not because I want to be someone that can, you know, say the Super, Super Bowl champs are going to be the New England Patriots, of course. <laughs> I don't want to predict the future. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm not asking for some supernatural ability to know more than everybody else. I'm saying, Lord, would you let me hear your voice, be so sensitive to it, that I can encourage your body and empower them. To be who they've called, who you're calling them to be. A lot to unpack here in one short verse, but we should eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. What time is it? Oh, we got loads of time. We're just getting started. <laughs> These gifts enable us to do a work that we could not do on our own before. So I believe we must personally learn to depend on the Spirit, and I believe we should. Obviously, build a church that depends on the work of the Spirit. Listen to this quote. It's from Rick Joyner. World on Fire, by the way. I've referenced this book a few times. It's a book about the Welsh revival. If you're wanting to get into some reading, most of the books I've been referencing over the last few months um, are all going to be worth your time. So read them, um, if you're a reader. Anyway, this is one, there is one quality common in those who have been mightily used by the Holy Spirit they were able to hear the sound of the Holy Spirit moving and were willing to move the way he wanted for that time and place. A few things I love about this. One, for that time and place, God gave them the ability in Acts 2 to go and speak in different languages for that time and place. You understand? He may do it again, but for that time and place, that's what he wanted to do. He may give us gifts that were for our time and place that we don't read about in the scriptures and everybody gets all freaked out about that kind of stuff. And I'm just saying, I think the Holy Spirit is about one thing and it's about getting people saved. And he will do what it takes and he will, give this, he will distribute gifts according to that. Now, are we going to get off, way off, off the rails and outside of the Bible when we do that? No, don't hear me. Don't, don't like, tweet me. Tim says the Bible is unnecessary. I'm not saying that. Anybody use Twitter? I don't even know. That's how deep we can grow in the dependency on the Spirit, though. The other part of that quote that I love is that we can actually hear when the Spirit moves. And we act accordingly. And we do what? We stay in step with the Spirit. Let's go back to the story in Acts chapter 2. And I actually am about to be done in just a couple minutes here. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 12 says something really interesting. It says this, it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, (laughs) this is the people that are hearing it in their own language, they're like mind blown. What is going on here? They're amazed and perplexed about the work that God is doing. This is what people are saying. Now, this is an act of God, this would be a miracle. And I would just like to say this, wouldn't it be a lot of fun to have a life in which you're going to be in a situation where someday you would be among a group of people that would go, what does this mean? They're amazed and perplexed. I would like to to be a part of something like that. I'm just saying. I want to see God do something, and I'm asking for God to do something that would amaze. So Peter gives a sermon, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus, right? And then Peter quotes the prophet Joel. This is what's going on. He's trying to explain to them what they're perplexed about. You get it? And this is what he says. He says, in the last days. Now, people have been saying we're in the last days, just so you know, since the first days. (laughs) In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He's explaining to them why what, what's going on. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. What, 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 oh yeah, especially desire, right? They will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, even on my people, both men and women, just for those people that need to continue to hear that one, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And then he says, and I will show them wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below. He was saying, you are seeing a sign right now. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. We'll talk about that another day. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone, here it is, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter explains, yeah, amen, amen. Peter explains that that the amazing, perplexing things that they are encountering are actually God's spirit being poured out. And when you pour something out, it's like it's coming down from above. It's descending and then alighting on their people. God's spirit is being poured out. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Young old men will dream dreams. He will pour out His Spirit on men and women, show signs and wonders, and people will be saved. Can I just say when God pours His Spirit out, there's there's got to be a culture shift here. For so many people, that's scary. It's weird. It's funky. It's... It's that, those people, it's fun. That's what it needs to be to us. God's spirit being poured out is fun. It's like we get to experience something that we couldn't do on our own. We get to see people coming to Jesus. We get to see things happen we can't explain. We get to be used in ways that we had no idea we could be used. That's fun, that's what I want. That's what I want for you, that's what I want for me, that's what I want for my kids. Because you know what? If I'm left to do life on my own as I can do it, it's not all that interesting. It's not amazing nor perplexing. It's pretty average. It's pretty normal. That's just what I think. So I don't want to miss on that because I'm distracted with getting more materialistic things in this world instead of more of a spirit. So many people want more of the world instead of more of a spirit. Come on. Really? It does not compare. So many people, they're scared to ask for His power because they don't understand it. I don't want to miss out because it's too weird to ask for more of a spirit or too weird to ask for prophecy or gifts of the spirit that I, I feel like fit in a category that's not a category that I've ever owned. So many people have put God and everything of God into a box that they say, "That's my God." And their theology has been shaped around who they were, not shaped around who they need to become. And so what happens in that is we limit the possibilities that God has with us because we are stuck in the mud. We are stuck in our theological lens of who we think God should be because someone told us at one time, someone told some of you at one time, God doesn't do that anymore. God quit doing that when the apostles died. Someone told you that at one time and you believed it. But you know what? Just like in the 1500s, some people started reading their Bible and they started going, if this is true, I want it. I'm going after it. The wind of revival started blowing and it started changing the world. And you and I are sitting here today because of that. Just so you know. You are sitting in this room because some people read the Bible and believed it. You're sitting in this room because people allowed the spirit to be poured out on them and they started praying like they'd never prayed before. They started digging into prayer in ways they had never imagined. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed through for your ancestors to come to know Jesus. And you're sitting here today because the spirit of God was poured out on his people. And today he's saying the spirit of God can be poured out on us. And I believe he's pouring it, but I'm like, can you, can he drench us? So three things I want to encourage you to do the next three months. <laughs> Obviously, you can do these three things for longer than three months. But we've been asking you to consider the next three months, February, March, and April. We've been saying 14 weeks. We've been prayerfully considering what God wants to do between now and the end of April. We believe this is a time in which the Lord wants to pour out his spirit three things first one read the bible second one pray pray like you've never prayed before change your routine get up here and get in our prayer room pray you're like what do i pray for everything ask for more Third thing, ask for more. Eagerly desire and ask for more of the Spirit. Ask that the Lord would descend on you like he did the disciples. Ask the Lord to come and pour his Spirit out on your family's life. See what he does. Why wouldn't you ask for that? Why wouldn't you expect it? Because it's a lot of fun, I'm just saying. So, do you need to do other things besides these three things? Nope. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you do. You do. You got a lot of other things to do in life. I get it. You even have other things to do with Jesus. You know? You got to disciple your kids if you have kids. You got you to come to church every Sunday. Did you hear that? That's a word from the Lord, prophetic word for you. It's predicting the future every Sunday. Just Just kidding. You got to serve your community. You got to do things. You got to love your neighbors. I get it. We got a lot on our plates. But these three things are specifically around the work of the spirit in your life. And I want to see the work of the spirit in each of our lives doing things that are new so that we can be enabled to do a work we could not do before. Anybody with me on that? Would you pray with me? You can bow your heads. We're going to pray and sing a song and during that song, if you want to come and just begin asking for more right now, you can. We'll have people that you can pray with. You can come to the altar and pray. It's not just more of the Spirit. Maybe you're like, I need the Spirit to do a work I can't do on my own. You have a huge thing you're facing. No one else to turn to except God. Well, this is the time to come and pray and believe for more, ask for more, and expect more. So, God, we just pray right now that, Lord, this isn't just words today, but this is something that changes changes our trajectory. It changes how we pray, what we think. God, we want more of you. You're so good. Thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.